Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Dear Joe King podcast with SJ and Eva B. We are a three-way Zoom podcast from London, Dublin and Madrid. And thanks for listening. I watched you the other night. Ah, you I did. watched uh, The Delinquent Season, was it? Yeah. Very good, Eva. I thought you were fabulous. Absolutely flawless. Thank I'd you. I'd love to see it. Four yeah. amazing actors. Just yeah. brilliant. Powerful. Incredible. Really superb. That's really nice Just superb. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, love. How, how did it do at the time? It was a cinema release, right? Um, I think it got a short run in the cinemas because it didn't do as well, I, I guess, as everybody had hoped it would do. It got The reviews were kind of mixed. It is a shame little... it was a, a good bunch, but um, yeah. we don't all relate to it. Stories are so niche. Yeah, there is not one audience for yeah. every script, for every story. No. You know what no. I love, you might hate. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then that's why I find the whole role of critics really interesting because ah. because we read reviews. We the and reviews to a large extent are really important and really you know you put your work out there because you want people to look at it to read it to whatever whatever art form it is and I think a good critic will help your work be understood it's how they help explain it they'll dissect it in in an interesting way and if you read a good review it's a lovely way to when I watch a film that I've loved sometimes I'll read the review afterwards I won't want to read it beforehand because it'll give too much away or or it'll put me off um, but reading good review after something that I love can be a really enjoyable process because you go, oh, I miss that, or that's how they got, and you understand the work on an even greater level. And I think that's when a, a really good critic is worth their weight in gold because they can they really appreciate and understand art, and it's their job to, you know, interpret it and and, and help the the viewer interpret it. But then there's also and also because of the world we live in where with social media everybody's a fucking reviewer everyone's <laughs> a critic now yeah, yeah. everybody now and that's when it can be really damaging that's when it's you know put you put you off seeing something altogether which i think oh well, i mean I, if, if you see a film that has one or two stars attached to it there ain't no way you're going to give it your time and give that's it your time. useful because i mean i don't think something garners one or two stars without being very bad the starring rating can absolutely have a place. The thumbs up, thumbs down rating is new because I think the rating yeah. thing is kind of out of control because on Netflix now you can just rate this title where you give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Yeah. But who's your source then? Just a lot of people out there, that everybody's opinion is valid, but it doesn't mean they should sure. be reviewing films. Yeah, know? well, and Rotten Tomatoes is, you know, that's so many people want to get a good rating on that. The yeah, what's your percentage is... in Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah, yeah. but Rotten yeah. Tomatoes is considered a fairly fair gauge. So I have a bit of respect for that, right? Because at least we're talking numbers and there's yes. a bit of power in numbers. Where I have a problem is the individual reviewer, the one man's opinion that can close a play overnight, yeah. that can shut something down. That's different. So at least the Rotten Tomatoes is a bit more democratic. Yeah. Well, it's funny you should say that because Ellie was on the receiving end of such a review. He was 29 at the time. His uh, first play had sold out in a theatre in New Haven um, and it had been workshopped in a small off-Broadway theatre in New York um, and it had done really, really well and, you know, great reviews in, in New Haven and there was great buzz about it. And then um, people wanted to transfer it to Broadway and he had his first play 
premiere on Broadway at the Walter Kerr Theatre. Um, it was, you know, such an, an, an event in his life and he was terrified and petrified and, um, and excited. So in New York on Broadway, you have up to 40 previews until the opening night. And oh, my word. Yeah, yeah. A lot so, of previews. Yeah, a lot of changes were happening because some stars were now cast and um, they had their voice. And so he was kind of watching it change before his mm. eyes. But he, as a young writer, um, did not have, had not found his voice to defend his play. And the night of the opening he and the director did not watch the play. They went out for drinks and went out for dinner, which is her tradition. And all his friends and family have traveled from New Mexico. And they knew that the New York Times review was going to be out, I think around 1230. And if the New York Times review loved it, they were safe. If they hated it, and it's, I say they, it's this one man's opinion. Yeah. Was this man, I, I, I famously remember Frank Rich being No, it's, it famous. wasn't Frank, it's not okay. The Butcher of Broadway. It was his, his, the next one. And okay. uh, the review came out and they were all in the bar afterwards. And slowly but surely, everyone oh. started to leave the bar. He fucking salated it. Oh. And he was particularly mean to Ellie this you know young writer who had watched his play disintegrate before him and didn't have the confidence to stand up for himself and to stand up for his 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 writing and the play closed the next day SJ can I just ask you something when you say he didn't have the confidence to stand up for his writing do you mean in the rehearsal room to say yeah. actually I don't like the way this is going yeah can we go back okay and, and he but when he did he would he was he was basically you know there was a lot of tension between the actors that had been selected to perform in the play on Broadway um and it was a really, really powerful event in his life. In that, listen, it's Broadway. How, it's, there are very few people in the world. Every writer aspires to that if they're a playwright. Very few make it that exactly. Far. And then it's huge. But then to have it all be taken away in one night because of by one, one person. There's so many good sides to this story. And the, the best side, we always look at it is if the play had gone on to be fabulously successful, we would never have met, right? Because our... our <laughs> but my point is that this one man's opinion on this play, oh. but his particular, you know, the way he, he went for Ellie and Ellie's writing, it is very difficult for a young artist to crawl back out and to be able to get back on the saddle and to be able to to write again. But how does one person get to wield so much power? You know, if there was like, you know, six reviews and they, and it just tanked across the board and it's like, that's the general consensus out of, you know, all those reviewers, then you kind of go, okay, there's something wrong with the play. There, there's something wrong with the actors or whatever it is. But for one person to review, to, to wield mm. that much it's, power. Because is, then, I guess, this because, is long before social media. The New York Times wielded power. That's what everybody... They did. And who's the, reading the New York Times? People who can afford to go to the theatre. Yeah. That's yeah, so that, that. 
So yeah, they had and that brutal. power to open or to, to close you overnight. Yeah, yeah. terrifying. And brutal. I guess in a way there was the drama of that sort of added to the theatre world in New York. There was always this fear of what's going to happen. Are we going to are we going to survive opening night? You know, is it going to go on? So it created a kind of tension, I guess. You know, sure. but underneath all of that, a writer can be destroyed. A writer's confidence, like it's oh, on a much low on a much much smaller scale. I presume we've all been on the receiving end of oh jesus yeah reviews bad, bad, bad reviews. reviews yeah yeah i, I sure. the first one that i remember and i kind of think i more or less stopped reading or tried to stop reading reviews after this was again very young you know very young like one of my first jobs was in the gate theater doing present laughter and the opening see i had the opening of the play which was a phone call and it was very very funny Every review, I brought the heads down. But there, I had a word in it where I, I used to say, again, she was very posh English and it rhymed. The word, the sentence rhymed. And I said, again. And I remember it sitting une uneasily with me. So I was checking with the director, checked with the producer. I asked everybody, is this correct? She's, she's upper class, aristocratic. Is, is again, is that correct? And they all said, absolutely. What you're saying is totally fine because it rhymed with some other words in the next sentence, but I was uneasy about it. But anyway, what could I do? I asked for all of the opinions of the people who were above me, more experienced than me. I went ahead, off I went, and the review came out. And what did it say? Uh, this young, absolutely slated, me in particular, uh, for saying, for using the word, no, I can even remember it. And we're going back now 30 years, okay? Mm -hmm. No self-respecting debutante would use the word again, spelled A-G-A-Y-N-E, and other such solipsisms. <laughs> I've never heard the word before, so it really launched in my mind. Do you know what I took away from it ultimately was? First of all, I was really upset because this was something I had given thought to, um, to be sure that I couldn't be picked up on this. Uh, and I'd been assured I was doing it correctly. Anyway, that was one thing. What really bothered me was that she never said she brought the house down, the, the room, however, the room loved it or the reviewer gave her reaction. She did not give the reaction of the theatre, of the audience. She didn't at any point say the audience loved this show. And I, I just have, have an objection to that. I feel like if you want to say, I bloody hated this, but you know what? The Everyone audience else loved it. Yeah, they're either laughing or they're not. So to not mention it is is kind of crazy. But you're also, yeah. aren't you misleading the, the reader? If you, you were yes. a person who's going to go, I'm going to go straight to the Indo to read this review and see if I'm going to go to that play or not. And they don't see that the, the room was falling around with laughter all night long because she hasn't bothered to put it in a review. And the reviewer will remain Emeril Kelly, by the way. <laughs> oh, I, was going, I was going to say to you, was it Emeril Kelly? Because when I was starting out as an actor, every single person would say, oh, well, you know, she's not going to like you because uh, she's not kind to young and pretty actresses but I have never been on the wrong side of her reviews so that made me feel am I not pretty <laughs> <laughs> am I not young am I not young I had a reputation but for that I also, think but we only remember well I only remember the bad reviews right like you remember that line from oh, your bad sure, reviews I was devastated. 30 years I was ago devastated. they lodge they lodge in your brain like the good reviews they don't lodge in your brain. The bad ones just stay with you for the rest of your life. In my one of my worst reviews, there's two that, that have stuck in my mind, and one of them is from uh, I think it was my my first 
proper play in the Peacock Theatre. And the line went something like this. was Eva Berthesel looked like she walked off the stage of another theatre and accidentally found herself upon the Peacock. <laughs> I'm in the wrong fucking play. <laughs> that line I'll have with me to the grave. To Who the was grave. the reviewer? Can you remember? It was a woman. Maybe it was Emer O'Kelly. I don't know. We I can't, I can't remember. Do a research. <laughs> We're having a little moment of revenge yeah. now, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Emer. Over herself. <laughs> it might not have been her. I have to add. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the other line, which just like is is lo- again lodged forever, is a truly terrible performance by Eva Berthelsen. Oh, Jesus Christ! It really oh, can't wow. get any worse than that. <laughs> You're just having the last laugh now. You're having a glorious career. (laughs) About to star in a massive TV show, which we can't announce, (laughs) I know, but let's just say it for the moment. (laughs) We've survived. Yeah, and Ellie has crawled his way back. And look at him now, releasing his book. I mean, incredible. We do. And I think, you know, as artists, you, you... you learn the hard way, I suppose, don't you? You get battered and beaten and spat out and you pick yourself up and you do it again. And it'll happen again. It'll happen all of us again, probably, unfortunately. Yeah. Now, on that and note, this podcast will be reviewed. So, yes. people who are listening, you know, by all means, give it a five star and a lovely <laughs> comment. If you don't like it, just listen to something else. You don't need to post a comment. <laughs> Oh, my, a friend of mine asked me, did I want to go to a, see a, not a fortune teller, a reader, like a, this, a person who reads tarot cards, but she desperately wanted me to join her. So I said, yes. And I was thinking, I'm at a certain place in my life now where I don't need, I, I think I have a bit of fear that she might say to me, yeah, that relationship's going nowhere, <laughs> or, or, or that child has gone down the wrong road. Something that I just don't want to hear. <laughs> so I thought, oh, these readings are going to see people like this. They're for times when your life is uncertain, right? When you don't know whether you should be in a particular job or relationship or whatever. They're, they're, they're not for when you're actually content. So I'm like, man, I don't really want to hear from you now, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> So I was dubious about going to see this healer, spiritual card reading person, but I went anyway. And wow, like I was impressed, very impressed. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. But, you know, the thing that that amazed me was because I think there are kind of all kinds of different levels of these people, you know, from charlatan to master. And I suspect this guy was a bit of a master. Um, But you know what? he hooked me within 20 seconds he had me and I was my scepticism was on high alert right but at the same time I'm open to things and I I, you know I was I was easy about it I was prepared to be entertained let's say if yeah. nothing if nothing else and but so he laid out the tarot cards and he just looked up at me I wasn't across from him 30 seconds and he said to me you're very worried about memory loss and that you might get Alzheimer's someday. He said, um, you're not going to get that. Wow. My yeah. heart actually nearly stopped because I have been worried about this. I now think I have decided it's actually menopause brain, yeah. which is very similar to baby brain fog. You know, I can't find yeah. words. I just cannot find words anymore. And it's mm-hmm. it has at times really freaked me out. Mm-hmm. And I've genuinely, you know, thought... 
you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go and do the test. There's a test that you can do mm. to find out if you might be susceptible to Alzheimer's or, but what are you going to do with that information? I know, exactly. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a yeah. terrifying yeah. thought, right? Yeah. So I've had this anxiety about it and I've worked at letting it go and going, you're, I'm not, you can't give that energy, D. You've got to let that go. But don't you think it's interesting that this was the first sentence mm. out of this man's mouth? Mm. I just Indeed, actually yeah. thought, if you say nothing else to me, I will pay you right now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because I felt a weight come off me. And, he, and, he, and I said to me, I said to him, I can't believe you've said that. And he said, he said, have you got reason to worry? Is there a lot in your family? I said, not directly. My mother doesn't have it, but two of her siblings and her mother. So it's there. Yeah. And, he, and he just looked at the cards again and he said, yeah, well, it's not, it's not for you. He said, you're not going to get that. Wasn't that good? Yeah. Or peace of mind. Yeah. But he had me in the palm of his hand. <laughs> yeah. He's got After that, I was like, <laughs> tell me more. Tell me more. Lap dog, tell me more about me. Let's talk about me. It's amazing how much we want to talk about ourselves. <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> I didn't feel, I didn't get any sense of the charlatan. I, yeah. I liked the man. Just said a lovely thing about my dad. You know, he said to me, your father's death, he said, was, go was a good death. He said he died, suited him, how he went. He said he wasn't afraid, he wasn't fearful. It was fast and it was it was good. He's in a good place. And those things are kind of, they're, yeah, they're, 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 they're nice to hear. They are. They're, yeah. they're they nice. I mean, any randomer could say it, I suppose. But I suppose the point is he's plucking it out of the air. And, you know, maybe my father, he didn't know. Maybe my father could have had a horrible death from cancer. I've heard people have had traumatic experiences with their parents dying and it not going well. So he wasn't to know, yeah, sure. you know, that actually my father actually died quite very quickly. We we think probably a heart attack, but he wouldn't have known that. So it was just lovely. He said, no, it was good for him. It was, was how he needed to go, which is what I would have felt myself anyway. Uh, yeah. So little things like that. And my mother, he said, oh, your mother's unkillable. Oh, Jesus, she's unkillable. <laughs> I said, she's very, oh, God, she's very sharp. She's very sharp. <laughs> what on there? Which I took to be a compliment to her. And then yeah, at the yeah. end, he 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 has a, a bed, so he does a kind of bit, little bit of healing. So he did a, did a not much hands-on, um, very little, but just like placing a hand in specific points. And around the legs, this will give you a laugh because I wondered, is it because of the veins? <laughs> you know what, had the veins removed? He said to me, the end, God, there was a terrible weight around your legs there at the bottom. <laughs> I never mentioned the veins, but I was too vain. And he said, um, just something holding you back, he said, yeah. And I've taken that away. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? You see, I just love the kind of folklore of it. I love the theatre yeah so we should get booking definitely we do we little, get booking. little little yeah. day trip that'll be great right. Okay, yeah. right. yeah. so we're off we're off now as i'll go again you'll have nothing to say to me this time i'll have, I'll have a load <laughs> of questions you again uh, oh i asked him about this i asked him about the podcast and do you know what he said the first thing he said oh god he said three very strong personalities here <laughs> he put out the cards and he said three very strong personalities <laughs> work he said yeah that's gonna work and then he said I think you might change uh how you're running it he said you might change 
the uh, the order things and just you might change how you're managing it but um but yeah all good three very <laughs> strong personalities no that's no weakness there but uh, did you ever go and hear anything that was good constructive no um, but i think i i've i've only i don't have that much experience with it i remember like at a hen party years ago they had a, a tarot card reader uh, and it was all quite vague stuff you know it was all i think vague yeah, you could apply to anybody's life, yeah. really. I hilariously, actually, once the last time I, I went, it was very uh, spontaneous. I hadn't planned on, on it. I didn't, it's not something I'm particularly interested in. But in saying that, if anybody said, try to come along with me, I would probably always say yes, because I find it intriguing enough. But I always expect the people, the person to be a charlatan. And I went to the, I was out with pals. This is a good few years back now, uh, having a drink um, uh, on Portobello Road. And there was an event upstairs and the, the person who worked at, at, at the, the bar club said look there's they're doing readings upstairs when we want to go you know there's somebody that's free at the moment there's a few um tarot card readers and 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 uh, sort of dotted around the room you can just if there's a space free just go and join and get your reading done and I was like ah, yeah go on so she kind of twisted my arms so I went up and went over to the table smiled smiles hi how are you she's like great sit down there to do a reading for you and I was very you know nice and friendly and stuff and she started doing the reading. She went, well, you're, you're obviously in a very um, happy stage of your life. Things are going very well for you. You seem very um, relaxed in your life. So I get the sense that you're very content with where you are in your life. Little did she know, because she got it so wrong. I had literally just separated from my then husband and I was going through possibly the worst stage of my life. I was fucking rock bottom. Like I was so low. She really got that wrong. She really got that wrong. I just gave her a smile because I hadn't met the woman before. She decided I was just the happiest thing around. I was oh, like, you put on a great show. Very good. <laughs> you've got it wrong. I had to put her straight. I went, you've got it so wrong. Did you say, well, well here's your money back? What? <laughs> oh, she tried. <laughs> she, that I would have respected. She tried to talk her way out of it and just got, it was even more nonsense. So, oh, yeah, I, I, yeah. But I, I think, um, uh, so that, that's my only experience with that kind of a, um, a, a reading. Um, and, and Ross does know um, a lady who has a, an amazing reputation. I think what she does is she has a lot of spiritual healing and um, makes certain decisions in your life and get you back on the path. And um, I haven't met her yet, but I have to say Ross met her. Not, not, he didn't go to her to, to, for, for those purposes. He met her through work. And uh, within the first few minutes, she brought up something that me and him had only spoken about the night before that nobody else knew about. It was quite a big life thing, but we hadn't told anybody else. You see, that's she, fascinating. In the first five minutes, she said, oh, are you? And she mentioned it. And he was like, <laughs> nearly fell over. So like, how did you, what? And she just, she, she, picked, she picked up on this very you know, big thing that we had, that we had just discussed you know, but just between the two of us. So I, so I, I, I never rule any of that stuff out because that I can't explain. I can't. No, no, I, I do think there are people in the world who definitely have whatever you want to call it, a sixth sense. A, a, mm. You know, they definitely have an ability to see and read things. I think they. I don't think there are many of them now. I don't think they're at the hen parties. Mm. No, no, no. <laughs> that's the difference, isn't it? They don't need to go around to hen parties and get the yeah, no. yeah. Esther, uh, did you ever have? I'm too much of a skeptic. 
<laughs> I know. I love that I about you. No. <laughs> have you ever been? Did you ever, did you ever actually have a, your hand well, read, your cards read or anything? Actually, there was one fun uh, moment when we were in New York. Two very good friends of mine came to visit while I was doing a play there. And um, one of my friends um, is very much into all of that, into astrology and, and healing. And, and it was the first time she met Ellie and Ellie would be even more of a skeptic than I am. But the two of them really hit it off, you know. And so he would put his hand up to her, up to her forehead and say, you know, what? my higher self is talking to your higher self right now. And they're getting on really well. And, you know, she would <laughs> laugh. And anyway, we were at this um, hotel and Ellie said, he's like, OK, I've, I've arranged something for the three of you. And we went in and there was this fabulously flamboyant Puerto Rican man and he was enormous like in his personality in his physique everything about him was just larger than life and he was hilarious as he said there is a man in your life and he has blonde hair and she went mm. and he went no it's brown it's brown <laughs> and I watched the whole thing I watched him do it but I also watched her going like she was giving him the information he needed to do his thing. She just, she I think that's it. the skill of and a lot of them. I'm going to get you to tell me stuff Good. and I'm going to reiterate it to you. Done. And I loved watching it being done. And I loved watching, watching him do it and her receiving it. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with hope is there like, but we all know that actually the answers are within and you you have to go within and search within yourself to find the big answers to the big questions, right? That That's mm. pretty straightforward, I think. But uh, I think if it's entertaining, then good. You know, if it's a bit of crack, then fine. I went to one once, really hear this. She said to me, oh, she put out the cards. She said, oh, I see two houses here. One is abroad, overseas, two houses, um, you know, and one is here, definitely involves a foreign country and it's happening very soon, very soon. And she was adamant. And not only was she adamant, she said to me, I really want you to let me know because this is imminent. Now, I interpreted this as finally my home in L.A. is going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to have a home in L.A. and I'll have a home in Ireland so that I can ground my children in the summertime. <laughs> and this will be my Hollywood career. Of course, it makes sense. This is what I wanted. So I was delighted about myself. But I didn't think it was going to happen within the next few weeks. As she kept thinking, like that, oh, this, I think that's a five-year plan. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> sure enough, she gave me her number and said, let me know because it's so imminent. So to talk about selling it. Lads, the very funny thing was within a couple of weeks, I had auditioned for a play with Team. Do you remember Team? Theatre yeah. and Education Company. Yeah, yeah. And I was cast in this play. And the play was called... Two houses, and we toured to France. <laughs> and she wasn't wrong then. Sure, she, she wasn't. wasn't wrong. But I was gutted that this was the reality. Neither failed to get the job and all, but it certainly wasn't LA. Very funny. We and and the, the tour to France was something else as well. Jesus, the days. These were the days. Theatre and education shows. You were paid a pittance. Uh -huh. Do you remember? But the hilarious thing was, we were farmed out to families when we got to France. So we didn't stay in hotels or B and Bs together. We arrived in a bus and into various different towns across France, and we'd get out, and there'd be a team of families waiting to greet us, like literally exchange students oh. who went off to learn a language, and off we'd go to our various different respective to families who'd be waiting for my my Wait, strongest what age were you uh probably about 19 20 okay right. yeah 
yeah. some of the others were 25 like it wasn't you know <laughs> oh, it was a page it sure. was a legitimate job like but there was just yeah, yeah. shoestring budget so you know I suppose families were asked who are you are you willing to take a poor actor from Ireland into your house for a night or two my my memory my strongest memory of one family was that there were three sons the family were there and off we went I got into the car the car was a very manky quite smelly car and I thought oh this isn't a good sign and we got to the house and the house was full of stuffed animals everywhere you looked there was stuffed animals on every wall and every surface I thought oh sweet Jesus and into the bedroom and there were stuffed animals on the walls and the three sons were looking at me and they were all ginger and I thought this was unusual for the French but anyway they were all kind of <laughs> looking at me like they'd never seen a woman before do you know this kind of and the next thing dinner was served and I sat down at a plate that had a raw steak on it it was oh, just yeah. a, a red steak blue. with blood blue as they call it blue, blue. but ironically it's red yeah. all over a plate full of blood now my French lads my French was non-existent so I was trying to explain, oh, I can't, I can't eat it. I, I, I couldn't even cut into it. I couldn't even attempt to eat this meat. I, I don't do, I don't do rare. I do medium well now that I'm older. But at that <laughs> time in my life, I would have done, well done, please. Well done. So I was trying to go, uh, I can't eat it. No, sorry. Too red. Rouge. Uh, very rude. <laughs> Very rouge. And they were like, Very rouge. they had no English. I mean, not a word. This was in the middle of the wilds of the wilds of nowhere. And eventually I was, I remember miming, cutting my wrists to try. <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to find the word for blood. For blood. For blood. And they were looking at me doing this mime up there, slashing my wrists. <laughs> Probably thinking, oh Jesus, she wants to. Do some you damage to herself. God. And in the end, the dictionary came out. And I will never forget the words for well cooked as long as I live. It's bien qui. Bien qui, well cooked. And they fell around laughing. All the whole French family, they fell off their chairs with the laughter. <laughs> And I took the steak away and it came back like, you know, a kind of a medium. <laughs> Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Esther had a job yesterday and signed an NDA, non-disclosure. We can say that, right? We can can say say that you signed an NDA. Even that in itself is quite exotic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was just one of those really random jobs that that just come into your life because because of what we do. We don't. Yeah. The best money I got on a random job, like, you know, random actor's job was being Santa's helper in (laughs) Stephen's Green Shopping Centre. Up at the top, they had built a kind of a like an airplane, like a spaceship that would take the kids to outer space to see Santa. And Julian Erskine ran it. Do you remember lovely Julian Erskine? And Julian ran it and he paid us all extremely well. I think he just had worked with actors for so long. It was like, listen, if if you're prepared to humiliate yourself and put that (laughs) spaceship, put that space outfit on you and get a load of children onto that (laughs) flight. And I remember like, like we were paid like 500 quid or something massive yeah. for the week i was rich for three weeks work was one oh, of the good jobs. Yeah. it's funny back then like we really were penniless like we're yeah. not, not just saying it penniless. i mean there was nothing yeah. I, re- I remember that that house in hanby lane and the liberties that i lived in and going jesus i haven't a penny yeah. and there's yeah. no money coming in until friday and i remember gathering up a lot of bits in from the house random ornaments and putting them into a box and going in to like it wasn't a pawn shop but it was like a charity shop that would give you a few quid for stuff and I took in a box of stuff little presents that I had Ainsley do you remember Ainsley (laughs) a couple of them and a couple of other random bits and I thought don't want these and I took in a basket full of stuff and I remember her giving me 10 euro or it wasn't your own pounds, probably pounds, 10 then. quid for the stuff it was probably worth 50 or 60 but I was thrilled it was like tap tenner is going to get me to Friday and I remember thinking and I've got no more shit left so this can't happen again yeah like no more and nothing else I could yeah. sell what about the jobs that are not lovely that we've all had to do to fill in as uh, poor actors over the years the way thrusting jobs I was a shock. Oh, there's been so shocking. many. There's no, been so, no. I, was, I was, yeah. I was a shock. Well, I became a good waitress because I just did it for so long. That was my oh. longest standing other job. I waitressed just for years. I don't think there's an actress in the world who hasn't yeah. waitressed for a while. Yeah. I didn't waitress for long. I was so shockingly bad. Nobody wanted me. I mean, I did. I couldn't even <laughs> learn to be good. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even learn to be That's good. Funny. I was just dreadful. Yeah. Take- I don't do subservience well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's an arrogance in me I don't know I don't know how I survived those do you know those few years I, I remember do you remember the time I stayed with you I remember you had a waitressing job the time mm-hmm. I stayed with you and Andrew in that house oh in it? Stapleton Hall Road that was in Finsbury Park Finsbury Park yeah I stayed with you for a couple of nights yeah, yeah, we had I don't big remember what I was over for. You were probably overdoing a gig or something, no? 
I'd say I was probably, I bet I was over to audition. They were the days when you used to pay 200 full pounds to fly over for an audition. I know. That I never got. I yeah. know. They wasted money. They wasted trips. Not sure, listen. All that cash and jobs All you never got. I and know. dreams and, you know. I just remember, Eva, I remember you going to uh, a job, out to a restaurant. That was my waitressing job, yeah. That's because when I moved over in 2006, I think it was, I had no money. Like I literally, I remember I had 300 pounds in my bank account and that was all I had. There was no savings. There was nothing. Sure. Why would I? I was only 26 or whatever. And I had to get a job straight away. And there was a restaurant at the end of the road. And that was it. I went in and said, are you looking, do you need any staff? And they said, yes. And I, I started working the next day. I, that was, yeah. I mean, I'd already waited a lot in Dublin before that, but I waited a lot in London. Yeah. Like you, Eva, I waited tables for the best part of a decade. I stopped doing it for a while because I, I needed to take a break. And so I was doing all these other random jobs. I was personal assisting and I was doing these event jobs for a company that do clinical trials, but we needed more money. We were broke. And then we had these two friends who ran a catering company in LA and they were incredible at what they did. And they, they overpaid their staff because they really respected, you know, their servers and they, they treated them accordingly. So it was, it was always a nice way to dip your foot back in. If you go, you know what, I need a little bit of extra money. I'll work for the Schaefer's. And uh, they asked me to do this event. It was a wedding. I thought, you know what, I'll do it. And it would have been, you know, a 12 hour event. That's what usually these these big weddings are. Um, 300 guests. And it was in a ranch in Simi Valley, which is. I could actually feel my blood pressure almost go through the roof <laughs> on just 300 guests, a 12 hour event. That That's enough for me to go. Ah! Yeah. Go and on. So, um so this ranch, there are mountains everywhere. And there was um, there was a Grand Prix course. There was an equestrian center. There were 10 guest houses that had three oh, rooms Lord. each. And there was the big Spanish villa. Um, and as soon as we got up to the villa, I heard screaming from somewhere. And what I heard was, you cannot do this. You are ruining my day. This is my day. Oh my God, it's Veruca Salt. <laughs> and I turned She's married. <laughs> and I turned to my lovely owner of the catering company and I said, Is that the bride? And he said, Yeah. She's been uh, she's been yelling all day. Okay, good to know. So so the ceremony was about to start and um, the, we were kind of putting the finishing touches on the tables. One of the groomsmen walks up to the bar and said, um, can I get a drink, please, for the groom? And the guy said, yeah, um, sure. What would he like? Can I get a bottle? Can I get a bottle of vodka? <laughs> <laughs> I looked at the groomsman. I kind of gave him a nod because I thought if I was the groom, and I knew I was going to be marrying into this family. Raise up those any, mountains. Any minute now, I would need a bottle of vodka as well, right? <laughs> and then we kind of gave a knowing, like, mm -hmm, yeah, I get it, I get it. And so after the ceremony, which went on a bit longer, and all the guests came onto the, the dining area, they were angry, like <laughs> demanding. Angry service. and hungry. Angry and hungry. <laughs> Every single one of them believed that they were the most important person in that room. And they were taking each other's chairs. They were moving tables. Nobody gave a shit. I want to sit here. I'm going to sit there. I'm going to move this. And, uh, and everyone 
already like the tension. The, the mother of the bride was already storming up and down the lawn. Her shoes were off. She was yelling, going, get the salads out, get the salads out. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, we haven't even started yet. Um, then the, 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 the sides come out and the bride comes up to me and grabs me by the arm. And she's like, what are these? What are these? These are the salads. Everyone's expecting more food. Where's the meat? <laughs> The meat is coming. The meat is coming. Everybody just thinks they're just getting this. Where's the meat? <laughs> it's coming. It's so These are the sides for the meat. <laughs> we'll get it out. And so, like, I went into the the. Hope that's the- not what she was screaming at her husband later on that night. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the meat? Where's the meat? <laughs> <laughs> and so the meat comes out, and and I lay it down on the top table, and I know it's supposed to be family family style. What does that mean? People serve themselves. The mother of the bride comes up to me. She grabs me by the other arm, and she's like, "Serve! You need to serve the food." I said, "But it's family." style i needed to serve the food put the food on the plates put the food on the plates you mean serve them serve them and so like i thought okay this is not what i was asked to do and it doesn't it's not in line with okay well if you're telling me to do it i did so i start putting the food on the plates the bride comes up to me grabs me by the arm what are you doing what are you doing you're serving it's supposed to be family style I, your mother told me to serve you're ruining my wedding oh. you're ruining my day this is my day and you are ruining my wedding wow and i put the food down and i went okay you know what i'm just going to get your mother and you guys can can talk about this yourselves okay and uh, brought the mother over and, and kind of put the, and they just started yelling at each other. Was it all just because the service had overrun and they'd all gotten very hungry? Like, was that was no, what was that? It was, was the all because all? they were just horrible people, right? Exactly. It didn't matter. You could have most, prist- everything was exceptional and pristine and brilliantly um, doled out, I'm sure. But these people just sat down like kind of people that they would find problems with anything. Right? Exactly. And it started as soon as I heard, as soon as I arrived, she was yelling. You know, like this yeah. is who these people were. And it and I sat in the car and it was midnight at that stage. And I sat there and I just welled up and went, I am never doing this job again. I have to figure out another way because I will not be spoken to like that again. Well, they do say if if you want to get to know a person, take them for dinner and see how they treat the staff. And I have some friends who are not nice to serving staff. I do too. I do too. And and good friends, people that I that I that I love that are good friends, and you see them in a restaurant, and they've it's either if they're not being outright rude to them, they're completely ignoring them they're not even their dinner will be put in front of them and there'll be no thank you they'll ask for something there'll be no please their plate will be taken away and be no thank you very much that was just the basic courtesy of saying thank you and please they don't do and I find that shocking and upsetting they they don't see it makes me embarrassed it's so rude they don't see them it's really, it's very telling, but it's also very surprising as well. And it, you think, oh, but then you think, you know, have have they done it before? I often feel like if I ran a country, I would make everybody wait tables for three months, just three months. That's all you have to do. Just do I it told you you could rule the world. And this is where you start. <laughs> I, I did a job once where I was uh, promoting a 
promotion person in supermarkets. Do you know those testers come and have a little <laughs> test of this in the supermarket? And the product was called Pocari, right? Did you ever hear of it? So the drink, it was a drink. Uh, and Big the tagline was Pocari, bigger than milk in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> It was rotten. It was. I, we were poor as church mice, three actors living in the house up with the liberties, and the fridge was full of Picari. It was all we had. It's like, what would you like? I'll have a vodka and Picari, please. Remember, we never had, like back then, probiotics. It was like full of electrolytes and probiotics, things we didn't understand. I'm talking about 25 years. <laughs> Uh, Pakari bigger than milk in Japan and I had a white tracksuit and it had Pakari written down the leg Pakari on the arm I had a baseball cap and everything and I, I remember being in the supermarket in Stevens Green <laughs> Pakari bigger than milk in Japan I had I had an audition at lunchtime and I didn't have the wit to get out of the tracksuit. And I remember <laughs> not having the wit to have a change of clothes and running up to the gate to do an audition at lunchtime for a job and going in in the fucking tracksuit that said Picari all over it. And the, I don't even think I took the baseball cap off and I couldn't understand why I didn't get the job. <laughs> I had a job when I was living in Derry um, in the, I was around, probably around 16, in the body shop. And it was my Christmas job. So I worked there, over, you know, I'd go after school and at weekends. And at the end of a shift, right, I think back at the time I didn't question this and I wasn't particularly shocked. But looking back, it's just like, that's outrageous. At the end of the shift, you'd have to, um, you know, make sure all the bottles are you know, straight on the shelves you know, tidy up the place and then check the baskets at the front of the shop, which had like, you know, the random bottles of bubble bath and soap well, and stuff. Don't you remember these open them baskets. Well. But then one of, the, one of the jobs to do was to check for incendiary devices. And I oh, was Christ. told this on my, on my first shift. So Jen just checked the baskets for incendiary devices. I was like, what do you mean? She went, just go through the baskets and make sure there's no, there's no incendiary devices. I was like, bombs. In the baskets. And she went, you'd be bath surprised. Bombs, not bath bombs. Not bath bombs. <laughs> bomb bombs. And you'd have to get your hands and rummage through the products in the baskets to check for incendiary devices. Not so much as a helmet or a suit or a <laughs> last the song Last Christmas took on a whole new meaning. <laughs> okay, lads, it's my turn to check the baskets. This could be it. See ya. My first job was a, I worked in the chemist in Tralee and I was working with this girl and she was so like, I was only 16 and she was the same. She was just so lovely and very naive, very wide eyed. And this big farmer came in one day and he said, Durex, please, uh, a packet of Durex. And she turned around and she got a four pack of Duracell batteries. She was like, do you, do you want the, the double A? Oh, Jesus Christ, girl, it doesn't need batteries at all. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast, which was called Bigger Than Milk in Japan. If you like this podcast, and we know you do, it would be just lovely if you would subscribe or like or give us a five star rating on Apple. All of these things help us enormously. And we love you. You know we do. Gracias. This podcast is powered by the ACAST Creator Network. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.